And I will continue by reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his uh, span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. We're now entering year six of our church plant. When we first planted our church, we were not here. We're in another location in Wangshindi. I remember first year, it was, it was rough because for 10 years I was serving at an established church. And I grew up in that church. I, met the, I, I rededicated my life to that church. So, you know, they saw this punk kid that become like a pastor and then preach. And so anything I did, it was like, oh, great. I, I, I exceeded the expectation. And, and fast forward six years ago, we planted this church. Every Sunday, I felt like it's like I, I am trying to convince people to join our church. It was like preaching and meeting people, remembering people's name. And it was, it was so stressful. Uh, I remember, and then we had... Emma was really young, my first child, and, and I think Lois was pregnant at the time. It was crazy. And I remember being so, so stressed. And, and, and my family, we eat our stress. We don't express our stress. Uh, so I remember just at night, I, I couldn't fall asleep. I just had so many thoughts. Not simply stress, but a lot of it was stress. I remember I couldn't sleep. And even if I fell asleep, I would, I would wake up two, three times in the middle of the night just like thinking about stuff. So I started um, this, I, I created this really bad habit of having my earphones in my ear and, and started listening to these random podcasts like Crime, Crime Junkie, anybody Crime Junkie fans here? Oh, there we go. Um, this American Life. I mean, just random podcasts so that I can just get out of my own head and to be able to fall asleep. And, and it's, really, it's a really bad habit. I still do it. It drives Lois crazy. I still do it. Um, but I realized, looking back... It was my own way of dealing with my anxiety. Like moving our whole family to a new church. This is my job. This is what we do. And anxiety messes not only with our sleep, ability to concentrate, anyone having trouble concentrating. I mean, probably all of us, Thank you. thanks to our digital gadgets. Uh, it fatigues us. I've described half of soul, people in soul. Um, Overall, it's just not good for our own own health. We know that anxiety is not good for us. In our final time in the Sermon on the Mount, we're fast-forwarding to the end 
of the Sermon on the Mount because of different scheduling. We'll be back sometime next year to cover the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. But we're fast forwarding to the end. In the final section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, which was read by Brother Daniel, Jesus not only deals with these symptoms of anxiety, but rather he goes to the heart of the issue, like Jesus does with most things. He's not concerned simply about symptoms, but he wants to know why. He gets to the heart of what truly causes you and I to remain anxious. Again, we've been walking through Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6. If you remember when we begin uh, the Sermon on the Mount through the Beatitudes, one of the first sermons that we talked about was Jesus reminding us there's a blessing to people who are living in poverty of spirit. And, and here, was a, here was a quote that I quoted from a commentator that we were following. And he says this about this whole idea of poverty in spirit. The Sermon on the Mount is actually the Sermon from the Valley. It starts low. It starts where most of us live only if we can be honest. The Sermon starts with those who feel very unlike mountains or mountaintops. Every command in the Sermon on the Mount taken seriously or designed to drive, us, drive all of us back into the valley of the first Beatitudes and its life-giving spring. Poverty, humility, dependence on God. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is designed to do, to drive us to this idea of poverty in spirit, to be dependent on God. You see, every encouragement and the values that Jesus laid out Throughout our, our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, none of them can be achieved by our own effort or our own sense of righteousness. That's what we assume when we read the scripture and says, okay, we, we can do this. That's not Jesus' point. These sermons, these talks, these points, these values are designed to bring us back to this realization that we need to be humble before God. Because it is Jesus who makes the poor rich. It is Jesus who makes the weak strong. It is Jesus who makes foolish wise, who makes the guilty the righteous. Jesus concludes the sermon just as he started. Humility. Everyone say humility. Humility. And everyone loves humility Yet it's so hard to find humility in our workplace, in our homes, in our marriage, in my parenting. I'm, I'm such a jerk sometimes with my kids. I'm just like, there's no humility in the way I parent. But really what Jesus is saying in, at the end of this sermon is that our anxiety problem, because Jesus says, do not be anxious. Our anxiety problem is really our humility problem or lack thereof. And we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit towards the end. But verse 25 here, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, having talked about all the things in chapter 5, chapter 6, Jesus now takes a breath. Everyone take a breath. And Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. The Greek word that Jesus uses to describe anxiousness is marine now, marine now, which literally means to be troubled with cares. A type of warring 
that is constant, that is always going in our head, always warring, wallowing in cares and the worries and the fears of the world. So which means here, Jesus isn't speaking against feelings of anxiety, right? because we have moments of anxiety, and anxiety is a normal part of life. Instead, he's speaking about stopping an action that is already going on. The force of the original Greek word he, is that we must stop perpetually worrying. We must stop con- continually worrying or to remain in that anxious state. That's really the call that Jesus is asking his followers to do. Stop worrying. I know you're worried. I know you're thinking about stuff, but pull yourself out of that. Lois is doing extra counseling classes, which is fantastic for me. I, I love it when my wife does counseling Love it. Um, Extra counseling classes. And one of our professors, they were recently talking about anxiety, right? Mental health, big, big, big topic. Lois is always talking about anxiety, right? And one of our professors defined anxiety, and I I love this, as our attempt to make things certain that which we simply cannot. Our attempt to make things certain that which we simply cannot. I like her other definition. It is an act of bringing future problems into the present. Anybody love that? Some of us love that, right? We, we think about all the things that could go wrong and we bring it to present. It hasn't happened. It's not reality. But we, we like to think about that and say, oh, what if? Worrying about what ifs, the worst case scenarios, looking at our situation in ways that make it seem more threatening than it actually is. Anyone? I can name some people, but I won't. Some of us are anxious about growing old. I've lost a lot of hair, guys. I'm feeling anxious about five years from now. Worried about finances. You're like, I'm 30, I'm 40, no savings, or I've put all my money in crypto. Whatever situation, maybe you're worried about your finances. Worried about your health. Worried about your job security. Chat GPT is coming to take your jobs. <laughs> Lois sent me an article last week, an Instagram page where there's a, 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 a AI preacher and how it's like so beneficial. I was, like, I, I was telling Lois, like, I have job security. Unless I mess up, I, I'm great. I could... Preach for 80 years. Lois says, no, no, no. Here's an article. <laughs> They're coming after you. <laughs> worried about our kids. Right? I'm always worried about my daughters. Whenever they do something, like Emma last week, she, uh, saw, she saw someone on TV and she, like, she made her T-shirts into like belly T-shirt. I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, no, no. What are you doing? I'm like freaking out. <laughs> Lois is like, relax, man. We worry a lot. Numerous studies have shown more than ever in modern human history, being overwhelmed is the new normal. Being overwhelmed is the new normal for most of us. We are constantly aware, right? Smartphones of how horrible the world can be. 
communication moves, identity theft, artificial social connections. Every time I sign up for something, I'm just like reading everything in Korean. I don't want to give away my rights, right? Like, like, like if I can, like I don't even know what it's saying, right? I'm just like, okay. okay. And then I end up doing, okay, 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 because it takes forever, right, to give away my data. And just instantaneous bad news from around the globe are just fingertips away. We can just sit here. CNN could tell you 50 things that's wrong with our world. And as convenience and access to information have increased, so has our anxiety. In fact, if you think about it, in many ways, convenience and anxiety are two sides of the same coin. Smartwatches. Some of us have smartwatches. And we love it because you can get your message, you could get a phone call, you could check your email, you could do a lot on your smartwatches. But you know, realize like Mondays, I, I take days off on Mondays. I stop wearing my smartwatches because I realize just wearing it makes me anxious. Because anybody can contact me and I need to be able to answer. Convenience and anxiety, they're actually married together. They increase together, if you think about it. So the great irony is that we're afraid to be without our technology. So we take our phones to the bathroom. We take phones to shower. We take our phones to places we shouldn't take because we're anxious about being without technology. But really, when you think about our technology, is what often makes us afraid and anxious. Try, try this. Try to not take your phone into Say your, your, your house. You walk, in, you walk in, it's 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock dinner time. Try to not take, like, it will freak you out. Not, like, this is why your phone knows exactly where you are, what you're doing, what time you woke up, what time you're eating lunch, because we're always with it. I'm not, I can't do it. I, I get real anxious without having my phone next to me. It's like, it's going to be there. My phone, my iPad, my Mac, it's got to all be there, Right? So it's very common to feel anxious at times. And again, Jesus isn't labeling those moments of anxiety as sin. This is, no, this is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, whenever you feel anxious, that's sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. Unfortunately, worries and doubts and anxieties are part of this fallen human world. And it's natural to worry about an unpaid bill, an upcoming job interview, or our first date, or, or, or marriage, or having our first child, or second child, or third child. It's maybe third child, you're like, okay, it'd be fine. Yet every time we find ourselves in these moments of deep anxiousness, this is what Jesus is saying. Those moments can either lead us to a God-honoring response of faith, or acts of disbelieving sin. Again, Jesus is saying, those moments of anxiousness, when we begin to worry about something, or when we're in that anxious state, those moments can either lead us to God-honoring response of faith, or to acts of disbelieving sin. Our anxiety, moments of anxiety, they are not sin, but they can certainly lead us to sin. And while we can't choose our anxieties, we can choose our response. That's where Jesus is concluding this sermon. 
Jesus, throughout his ministry and through the scripture, by quoting scripture, made it crystal clear that we have a father who is deeply concerned for our needs. Verse 32, he he says it in our text. He says, the father knows your needs. It doesn't say father is unconcerned about your needs. He only cares about the kingdom. No, he says he knows your needs. He cares deeply about our needs, friends. So again, one thing he is not saying is our needs are unimportant to the the feeding of the crowds of crowds that Jesus has done. Jesus is very, very concerned about our needs. So that's not what Jesus is getting at when he says, is, is life, isn't life more than food? Isn't life more than clothing? That's not, Jesus is saying those are not important things. Those are important. But what he's trying to do here is he's trying to help, help you and I reorient the way we prioritize life. He's trying to recalibrate the way we order our lives. And that's why verse 25b, Jesus says, is not life more than food and body more than clothing. Listen to the message version of this passage. Message version is a translation done by a pastor named Eugene Peterson. It's not direct translation. It's a paraphrased translation, but it's really helpful sometimes because it's very modern and helps us think about it. This is the message version of this text. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearances than the clothes you hang on your body. Many of us know deep down inside, life is so much more than eating and drinking. It's more than leisure and pleasure. It's more than just this wonderful vacation in Hawaii, drinking nice pina colada, listening to songs, taking our kids. It's more, we know that deep down inside. We've, we've been on these vacations. We've been on these trips. We, we've had this amazing fine dining and, and we've had those moments like, is this, is this it? Is there more? So we know life is more than this. We, we understand what Jesus is saying. Yet here's a sobering opportunity to honestly consider Jesus' words here, here and now. Because truth is, if we look through our spending, the way we spent our money this month, just this month, look at our calendars and events and planning and things we've done, places that we've visited, things that we invested into, if we can just honestly take a moment to consider those things, what would those things reveal? Perhaps, and this is my greatest fear, and, and, and perhaps yours, our greatest fear is that our lives are not much more than food. Not much more than being entertained. And not much more than purchasing the very things we want. Yet, 
Yet none of those things can truly help us in our anxious state. Wealth, status, material things. Right, these, these advertisements, Super Bowl commercials, they tell us, you purchase our product, you go on our trip, you experience these things, you're going to be happy. You're not going to be stressed. You're going to be able to enjoy it. That's what it promises. But we know having more money, because most of us, looking back 10 years ago or 20 years ago, when we were college students, some 30, 30 years ago, college students, we had less money. But we look back and we're like, man, those were good times. Now we have a lot more money. We have kids, a lot better status, better car. And yet, are we less anxious? Are we less stressed? Is there less worry in our lives? Johan Hadi, uh, in his TED Talk, he's an author and, and a speaker, and he, he gave a couple TED Talks, but in his TED Talk about anxiety and depression, he says this. He says, all of our lives, and I'm paraphrasing the talk, he says, all of our lives we've been taught a major part of anxiety and depression is some kind of chemical imbalance, at least our generation. It's like there's chemical imbalance in your body, take these pills, you'll be good. So our generation, we have been prescribed pills after pills to help us cope more than we should. Nothing wrong with modern medication, I'm not saying they're bad, but in our generation we've been told, your depression, your anxiety, it's chemical imbalance in your body, so here are some medication. Prozac and Zoloft. And, and in his TED talk, he, and this is his, his talk, he says he realized for the majority of people dealing with anxiety and depression, yes, yeah, some of them have chemical imbalance and they need help. But for the majority of them, I think he said like seven out of nine people, what they need is not more Prozac or Zoloft or any kind of antidepressant medication. Rather, he says this, and I'll quote. He says, every human being has natural psychological needs. You need to feel you belong. You need to feel your life has meaning and purpose. You need to feel that people see you and value you. All the stuff that we know and we desire. You need to feel that you got a future that makes sense. And this culture we build, this is what he says, the culture we build is good at lots of things. And many things are better than the past. But we've been getting less and less good at meeting these deep underlying psychological need. This thing, world has improved vastly, yet we still struggle with this idea of purpose and meaning. So friends, this is precisely where Jesus wants to land his sermon. Jesus isn't saying life isn't simply, Jesus, Jesus isn't saying life isn't simply about surviving, because what we think, life is not just about eating and wearing nice clothes and living, but life, at the heart of it, is living with purpose. Listen to the message version of verse 33. Jesus says, steep Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. 
So Jesus wants us to help us realize without purpose, yeah, you're going you're gonna to struggle with anxiety. Without vision, you're going to struggle. In verse 26, 28, Jesus says, look at the nature. Look at the birds and the lilies. Look, look, look at these wonderful birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Verse 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies in the field, how they grow, neither they toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed in one of these. But if God so clothed them, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Verse 32, your heavenly Father knows you need them all. April, soul, wonderful season for cherry blossoms. Like even our apartment, beautiful, breathtaking, flowers, cherry blossom. Like, what a wonderful reminder. Like, look outside, and these, we know spring is here because of these wonderful cherry blossoms all over the city. And they are breathtakingly beautiful. Like, literally, like, you could be grumpy, walk outside and see these flowers, and you're just like, I, I want to take a picture. I, never, I mean, I don't want to take a picture of myself with these cherry blossoms. Maybe I'm getting old, right? Maybe that's what old people do, right? But these cherry blossoms should be our annual reminder, they're so beautiful, breathtakingly beautiful. It, they, it, they've done nothing. And they're here for what, three weeks? And they're gone. If you're new to soul, enjoy them. Three weeks, they're gone. There should be a reminder. If God cares and, and makes them so beautiful and so breathtakingly awesome, how much more does He care for us? And Jesus now goes on to say, verse 33, So seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And it's such a familiar passage. If you grew up in the church, it's almost like we listen to something so many times, it's like, oh yeah, we don't even hear it. So we need to slow down. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What does Jesus mean here? Not your kingdom, not your vision, not your purpose, for His. And I love 1 Peter 5, 6, 7. This is where we'll land this sermon. Peter, Apostle Peter, writes to the early church who are struggling, persevering. He connects these dots for us. 1 Peter 5, 6, 7 Seven is where casting all your anxieties on him. You see that? Because he cares for you. Very similar to what Jesus is saying. But look at verse 6. Before you can cast all your anxieties on him, Peter says, you've got to humble yourselves. You've got to humble yourselves. Anxiety and humility, pride, they are very well connected. So what Peter is saying is humbling, your, humbling yourselves, humbling ourselves, continuing to live in that poverty of the Spirit, the way Jesus started this sermon, that's the key, friends. It is humility that you and I need in order to properly respond to anxiety. There are many things, there are many 
help and meditation and things and medication. They can help. But at the heart of it, we need to pursue humility in order to truly battle our anxiety. What is pride and arrogance? I mean, it's really easy to see pride and arrogance in other people, our bosses, our coworkers, right? But it's very hard to see pride in yourself. Like I could do, Lois could do a class on anxiety, and we'll probably have 10 people sign up, and they'll come. She could do a class on sexual addiction. Some people will sign up and come. Do pride, nobody will show up. Why? Because we don't know how proud we are. Like sometimes I catch myself, I'm just like, yo, I'm such an arrogant punk. Like, but these moments, it, it, it's hard to see pride in yourself. And, and pride, at the heart of it, is this false sense of belief that we hold our future in our own hands. It's not this external just arrogance, this I can't stand this person's personality. It's this deep down false sense of belief that we hold our future in our hands. That we drive our own lives. In fact, one of the common causes of anxiety is when a person loses their sense of control in one or more areas of life. We become anxious when we feel like we're losing control. We become anxious at work, we feel like we're losing control. Home, we feel like we're losing control. But this is the mistake you and I make on a daily basis. At least me, I make this mistake every day. We assume we have control over life itself. We have our gadgets. We have our digital calendars. We have these tools. We know the temperature. We know how to control everything. And so we assume. And and truth is, we probably have more control over our lives than our parents' generation in many ways. Yet only to quickly realize so much of life is out of our own control. Mike Tyson says, everyone got a plan until they get punched in the face. In fact, that's kind of like control. We have a plan. We're like, we wake up in the morning. This is going to be a great day. I'm going to have a great Saturday with my family. And next thing you know, you're yelling at your kid. Things are going haywire. You're just, that was like yesterday for us. Like, I thought it was going to be a great day. It was not a great day at the Lee family. Because so much of life cannot be controlled. There's so many more things we cannot control than the ones we can when we think about life. And this causes us to be anxious and worried. So we attempt to cast our anxieties in any direction or any target. We cast our anxieties on our families our spouse, our children. Have you ever done this? You're so anxious, you start talking to your kid, and you're just like, I shouldn't be talking to my kid about this stuff. I'm like really stressing them out. Just me? All right, y'all, y'all act like y'all aren't going to do this? Okay, I got you. Casting our anxiety, you know, with our coworkers, with our boss, with our whoever we can just say, oh, I'm so anxious, let me just talk to you about it. But, you know, cast, casting our anxieties around only means we fill our world and our our space with more anxiety-producing people and circumstances. When you see anxious kid, you meet the parents, you're like, okay, I see why that kid is anxious, for the most part, right? Um, My friend has a dog daycare, right, dog daycare. When you see anxious dog and you meet the owner, you're like, okay, I see why that dog, there's just a lot of connection. 
So Peter doesn't say, cast your anxiety on one another, cast your burden on one another. He says, cast it on the one who truly cares for us. Friends, one of the most damaging lies of an anxious heart. When you and I are anxious, the lie is that we are utterly alone and nobody cares. And we've got to fend for ourselves. Yet when we look at the cross and how Jesus ended his life, the cross confronts that lie in its face. The cross speaks of a Savior who chose to be utterly alone. He had a choice, but he chose to be utterly alone, betrayed by his friends, falsely accused, brutally beaten and crucified on a cross. In fact, moments before the cross, Luke tells us Jesus was anxious about what's to come. Luke 22, 39, 36, he was so anxious that his, his sweat turned to blood And he asked the father, Father, is there another way? Could there be another choice? Anything but the cross. Yet in the moment of great anxiety and fear, Jesus saw you and I deeply, deeply afraid and anxious, wallowing in our own fears and worries. So he made a choice that night to take on our fear, to take on our shame, to take on our punishment, the punishment you and I deserve. He took it on himself. He did that so that you and I can face face challenges, fears and storms and come out of the other side stronger. And because we know we are never alone. One thing that you know as a follower of Jesus is you are never alone in your fight against whatever you're facing. And we have a Savior, not only who has gone before us, He knows that we struggle. He knows our struggle. He's experienced fear and anxiety Himself. So friends, my encouragement to you is that won't you join me in humbling ourselves Won't you cry out, God, not my vision, not my kingdom, not my ideas. Let me seek you. Let let your kingdom be here. Let your will be done. And I promise you, your anxiety, he will be faithful. He will meet you where you are. That's scripture. Amen? Just want to give you a moment Consider what Peter is saying in, in, in 1 Peter 5. We've got to humble ourselves in order to really cast our burden. Whatever burden you've carried into this space, whatever burden that you're carrying now, you're thinking about now, would you take a moment to bring them before the Lord? Say, Lord, I'm burdened by my work. Lord, I'm burdened by whatever is happening, whatever fears and worries that is keeping you at night from sleeping. Would you bring these things to the Lord and say, Lord, I give them to you. 
Just give you guys a few, a few moments just to bring these before the Lord. Let's pray. Your grace over us. Father, we come as we are. And Lord, you know our hearts. Nothing is hidden from you. Nothing can be hidden from you. And Lord, we are deeply anxious about many matters of life. But but would you calm our hearts? Would you quiet our mind? Would you silence the lies of the enemy that tells us we are all alone? That nobody cares? That we got to fend for ourselves? And Holy Spirit, would you remind us that you go before us? You go with us? You go after us? And in your presence, there's freedom, there's healing. There's courage. There's strengthening. And Father, would you reorient the way we order our lives to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. Father, we repent of our own plans, our own vision, our own ideas. We'll go here, we'll go there, we'll make money here, and we'll raise family here, and we'll do this. Lord, we repent of our own plans. Would you restore and renew our ideas about our future, our present, our parenting, our, our marriage, our, our dating, whatever it is, Lord, would you rewire us so that we can be realigned to you, Lord? And thank you for the cross. Thank you that we have a Father who knows our needs is faithful and maybe not according to our timeline or what we want but Lord we know you're faithful and would you continue to lay out the vision and the purpose and the plans for each of us according to your purpose and vision we love you we thank you just in we pray amen